Welcome to the H&E Podcast, where we seek to celebrate the steadfast love and faithfulness of Christ through discussions on church history, biblical spirituality, the Bible, Christian living, and theology. Shall we get started? A King of Infinite Space Tightly bound Sealed in a small nutshell. Here I am king of infinite space. There's no more. No light, no heaven, no hell. I knew not, would not know another place. My world in a nutshell. Still, he broke in, broke me out. Crushing pressure, a great crack. Scattered pieces, all is shattered, broken. Then I saw that life's no longer pitch black. Shell shards now rest upon a warm, soft palm. My broken life is new life. There is more. This is more. I've been longing for a psalm to sing, a word to walk, all unlooked for. Yet here I am in a boundless dwelling. He is the infinite. He is the king. Well, welcome to the Hesed and Emmett podcast. I am Chance Faulkner, your host, and with me, I am with my friend, uh, Jeremy Johnston, who has just written and published Undiminished Returns, Poems of a Christian Life, and uh, it's an excellent book, but uh, Jeremy, thanks for coming, brother. Oh, it's thanks to be here. It's great to be here. So I am, uh, yeah, what am I? I'm about 70 pages into this little beauty and I'm enjoying it a lot. So thanks for, for putting this together. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. So you've just written this book, Undiminished Returns, Poems of a Christian Life. What is it? Why did you write it? Yeah. So um, it's a it's a collection of short poems. The, the, the kind of poem that, that I'm writing is called a sonnet. Uh, and the purpose is really to um, to edify the body of Jesus Christ, to, to encourage believers. Some of the poems are written as prayers. Some of the poems are, are just about uh, Christ, about how Christ breaks into our life, how, um, how we struggle with sin and temptations. Um, and in fact, the, I, I sort of wrote the book as a, as a pilgrimage through uh, a person's life from being unconverted all the way to coming to Christ and living a life in Christ and then dying in Christ. Uh, so it's kind of the, 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 the full range. Um, so when, when people come to the first part of the book, um, those poems are written from the perspective of an unbeliever, someone who, who isn't in Christ. Um, and so that was actually really difficult to write because I had to, uh, you know, I was raised in the church. Uh, I came to Christ when I was about 16 or 17 years old. And um, and so I've been a Christian for a, a number of years now. And so I had to really dig deep and, and use my poetic imagination, as it were, to, to sort of figure out um, what is it like? What was it like before I, before I knew Christ? And I had to really draw from my experiences with other uh, unbelievers as well around me and sort of capture their voice. Um, but, but to capture it authentically, you, you know, to not create a, a sort of straw man and, 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 uh, you know, a false, uh, voice of what an unbeliever is struggling with. Um, 
And then, you know, the process when Christ breaks in and changes our lives dramatically and sets us on a course um, of joy and new life. Um, but I, it's funny because a, a few people who've, who've been reading the book have, have uh, um, you know, when they were in the first section <laughs> of the book of poetry, uh, they were concerned that that I had I sort of lost my faith, you know, <laughs> because they're, they're reading these poems about the, you know, an, an unbeliever. Um, and, uh, maybe I could just, just to sort of illustrate this, um, um, let me, let me just read a, another poem here. If I could, um, this is from the first section and it's actually the, it's the last poem at the end of the first section, just before the, the person is sort of struggling with and, and wrestling with this sort of, is there a God? I wish there was a God, but I don't believe there's a God. Uh, this sort of tension that unbelievers struggle with. And so this poem is called uh, Undone. So let me read this for you. Undone. Eyes slammed shut. There is no such thing as light. Delusional, deceptive, half-formed hope. A juvenile joke. Fake news. I have sight, though I refuse to see. I reach, I grope, I stumble, I step, I stay. Eyes held shut by granite fists. Fists ready to fight light, to bend the light, to tear the light, to gut the luminescent lie. These eyes tied tight by self-sown thread. These eyes, my eyes, will not see, not look. Yet my heart, it hopes there's light. Stupid, silly, foolish fable. I fought hopeless hope. No light. I knew it was night. But at night, a moon glows. Something does shine. Dawn may come. I may see. Light may be mine. And so, <laughs> so this is, this is the, the idea here. And, and, uh, you know, a few people were concerned again, reading some of these, these first poems, but I think, what I think it's helpful for a Christian just to be reminded of of where they were, uh, the, the the struggles that they had before Christ called them out, um, and then of course moving to where they are now uh, in in Christ. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it it, it kind of has a feel for like Pilgrim's Progress. Not that it doesn't uh, follow like the same structure as Pilgrim's Progress, but the storyline of beginning at conversion or pre-conversion and then moving to glory. Why do you think that this, specifically your book, why is reading poetry helpful for Christians? Well, that's, I mean, that's funny because that's, that's, uh, it's, it's a great question. Um, you, you know, as, as, as Christians, we want to be good stewards with our time um, and, and be effective in ministering and, um, you know, stewarding our gifts as well that, that God has given us. So, so you know, why, why should we read poetry? Um, and part of the reason why we should read poetry, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second here, but that's also why I, I, I wrote this particular book, because I've personally been edified, encouraged uh, by reading poetry. And uh, even the process of writing poetry has been incredibly edifying for me personally. And I felt that, um, that the broader church can certainly benefit from that. And, um, and, and it's not new. I mean, I'm not the first poet that's, that's come on the block here that we have certainly in Christianity, we have, uh, you know, 2000 years of, of a rich heritage of Christian poetry. So Christians have been writing poems, um, 
you know, since the very beginning in, in many respects. And then you go back even in the Old Testament, um, you know, poetry is such a big part of, of the Bible itself. Um, you, you know, obviously the big, the big example, are, you know, are the Psalms, uh, which are a bunch of poems, 150 poems. Um, but it's not just the Psalms. Um, there's poems all throughout the Old Testament, um, you know, with, in the prophetic letters, um, in the Proverbs, um, you know, scattered throughout various songs and poems. Uh, but then again, in the, in the New Testament, um, there's poems embedded. Uh, the Apostle Paul, for example, who, who's, who's so well known for his drawn out, run on sentences, his elongated prose. Um, he actually fills his book. There, there's, there's, there's a number of books in there where he drops in uh, not only Psalms, he quotes the Psalms and he quotes actually pagan poets as well, Gentile poets. Um, but he also writes his own poems. There's poems embedded uh, within some of the epistles. Um, which people don't always realize because of the, you know, the formatting of their Bible, the two columns. But if, if you have a reader's Bible with a singular column, um, some of those poems will actually be formatted as a poem and it'll just pop off the page. And you're like, what's that doing there? What's this little poem doing stuck in here? Um, so, so obviously, you know, to, to answer that question, why should we read poetry? Um, you know, the the biggest answer is that it helps us read the Bible itself. That's where I'm going with all this, that, um, you know, if the Bible is, has so much poetry in it, then um, one of the ways to help us wrestle with this kind of writing uh, is to read it. Uh, the more you read poetry, the better you will be able to um, understand, you know, the word of God. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the other element is, uh, and this is uh, Professor uh, Leland Riker, um, Leland uh, Riken, sorry, I'm thinking of Star Trek here. <laughs> Commander Riker, um, Leland Riken uh, from um, uh, Wheaton, Wheaton College. He talks about poetry as a sort of a way of thinking, um, and and that's so true as well. This sort of imaginative thinking. I, I, you know, as as you reflect on the um, the Bible, uh, as I mentioned already, God Himself. You know, how do finite beings understand an infinite God? Um, and so the, one of the ways that we do try to comprehend God, uh, which is really our purpose on, on earth, is to, is to know God, to glorify God, and to enjoy him forever. Um, you know, the, one of the ways we get to know this God, this wonderful God, is through metaphor, is through poetic thinking. Um, you, you know, in, uh, in my other book, um, I'm trying to you know, promote all my, different, <laughs> all my books here, um, but um, I talk about... Um, See if I got, I'll read the quote here. Um, and this, of course, well known is that in the Bible, God is described using this kind of imaginative language. Uh, he's described as a father, a king, a brother, a husband, a lover, a friend. Um, but of course, he's not literally any of these things. Um, he's also described as having a face, ears, eyes, nostrils, mouth, hands, arms, fingers, shoulders, back, and feet. Uh, he sits. He stands, he marches, he rides, he shoots arrows, and his voice is like thunder. I mean, all that's poetic language. And so um, if we're going to understand God, um, we need to be able to exercise this kind of, this kind of thinking. Um, you, know, you know, I, I, I often refer to the, um, you know, Jesus' disciples when, when Jesus warns them about the, um, you know, he says, this is in Matthew chapter 16, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Um, and the disciples are saying, you know, uh, where's the bread? 
this sort of this sort of this literal thinking uh, needs to be challenged. And um, so that's another element: is that the more we read poetry, uh, the more our that that way of thinking, that poetic imagination, uh, is exercised. And um, you know, to me, that's that's so that's so significant. Um, you know, as as Christians um, who are trying to know God, trying to understand our Bible, um, and trying to uh, live out our faith. Um, we need that kind of thinking, that that part of our brain that we don't typically use. Um, so so that's kind of, for, for me, why obviously reading my book, but any kind of book of poetry uh, exercises that kind of thinking. Um, and uh, if I could just add uh, a couple more points here um i think the other element is just beauty um you know so often people like francis schaefer for example has argued for you know christians need to to have a um a vision of beauty god is interested in beauty and poetry can be quite beautiful and it awakens our senses to um you know the beauty of language uh beauty of wordplay uh, the beauty of rhythm and sound and um you know, perhaps on another level, especially in the 21st century, um, again, I mean, poetry has been around for millennia. Um, I should say this. I mean, poetry is the oldest form of human written communication. Uh, the, the oldest books that we know of um, are, in fact, in poetic form. Uh, and poetry dominates human communication for thousands and thousands of years. Um, the novel itself, I mean, you know, everyone knows about novels. You go into chapters, there's novels everywhere. Uh, but the novel's only been around for, you know, maybe the last 300 years. Um, and um, it didn't gain prominence until the 19th century. So you think of famous novelists like Jane Austen or Charles Dickens uh, in, in English anyways. I mean, that's all 19th century stuff. So so what were people reading? What was the main form of communication? Well, well it was poetry. Um, and uh, it's only really been the last maybe 50 years or so that poetry has, has diminished uh, in terms of its significance. Um, and, uh, you know, I have some, maybe we can talk about that as well if you're interested, but um, I have some ideas about why that is the case. But, but going back to that original question, um, you know, why should we read, why should Christians read poetry? Why should anyone read poetry? Uh, I think another reason is in our fast paced, um, hectic culture to slow down. Um, you have to, it takes time to read poetry. Um, even short poetry, like the poems in my collection are, are short. 14 line sonnets most of them um you know you could read them in 30 seconds or you know or a minute um but really you have to reread them and slow down look at the words look at the punctuation look at how the lines are structured and and really ruminate on it chew on these things and um you know uh, in my my day job I, i'm a teacher of literature and and in communications uh at uh at uh, Hillfields with Allen College and Mohawk College. And um, what I always say to my students when they're encountering poetry is, um, you know, we don't typically read things more than once. Um, you know, we barely read things the first time. Most of us just skim headlines uh, and kind of skim through an article on a blog or, um, you know, on a news site, um, or we look at you know, tweets that are 140 characters. Um, but we don't reread things, right? It shows up on our, on our feed, and it disappears uh, the next day. Um, but I think poetry forces us to, to stop 
to come back, to reread, uh, to really slow down. And of course, to come full circle, that that skill of slowing down and rereading is also the skill of a, someone who's handling the Bible well. Um, you know, you ought to be reading the Bible carefully, slowly, <laughs> you know, and over again, over and over and over again until glory. So um, that's kind of a grand, grand reasoning, but uh, I hope that's persuasive. One thing that we probably don't think of often is when we think of the songs that we sing in corporate worship, we might not think of those as being poems, but that's what they are, the hymns, the songs. And a lot of time for the good and for the bad, music can be in some circles is the uh, the highlight of the worship service. As uh, Michael Haken has said about the, uh, I think the 18th century hymn writers is they were undoing, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically they were undoing the bad theology of the pulpit. And so people in these churches were, were singing these rich theological songs. We're at a church mm. where the pulpit was teaching terrible theology. But how true that is with good, good rich lyrics, uh, doctrinally informed, Christ-centered. Hymns are wonderful. I know for myself, uh, music is one of the, you know, the times that I feel deepest communion with Christ as I sing the rich truths of, of the cross. These hymn writers have written in a short amount of time uh, in which takes books and books to to uh, explain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, we, we don't often think of hymns as poems, but they are. Um, and they're actually, there's tremendous value in reading hymns uh, as poems. Uh, so taking a hymnal home, uh, if you still have a hymnal, so, some churches are all all PowerPoint stuff. But a lot of these things are available online. Mm-hmm. And actually read the poem uh, the, the actual lyrics. Um, I mean, the music is also significant. I don't want to, I don't want to deny that. I think, um, but I think at the center of our worship service is in fact the arts, music and poetry, because poetry somehow speaks to us in a way that, um, Mm-hmm. Y- you know, straightforward prose doesn't. Um, you know, we we don't we don't stand in a church service and recite Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. We aren't we aren't you know reading massive passages of Calvin's Institutes or the uh, the sixteen eighty nine Baptist Confession. We're not reading these things as part of our worship service, and and they're doctrinally sound. Um, they're scripture based. Um, but why aren't we reading them? Well, because we need something different. We need something that speaks to our hearts, um, our you know that that causes us to to not only uh, hear what's being said, but but feel and touch and uh, and and sort of know in, in the very core of our being uh, what is true about our faith. So, um, yeah, I mean it's a great connection to talk about hymnody um, because um, I mean that's another form of poetry and and. Um, you know, we still need new hymns um, because we need we need fresh language, we need fresh imagery, and that's what poetry does as well. It, it kind of, you know, John Piper talks about um, John Piper, who, who's obviously a pastor and a writer, um, but he's he's also a poet. Um, he talks about poetry in particular as um, saying old truths in new ways. Uh, we don't change the truth. The truths are the truth, uh, or the truth is the truth. Um, but we present it again afresh, uh, in 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 fresh metaphor, fresh language, um, and that's really what poetry does, and why um, we still need new hymns being written. And there's a ton out there uh, uh, lately. There's been some incredible 
um, you know, beautifully written hymns by the Gettys, for example, Keith and Christian Getty and, um, and, and others, uh, Matt, Matt Redman, I think is his name. And um, there's some, some really rich hymns that take these old truths. And, uh, and to me, that's, that's the living and breathing reality that, that poetry is still needed. We still need modern poets uh, to awaken us again um, to these old, old truths. So uh, yeah, it's, it's uh yeah, a great, a great connection there. And so that's what you've attempted to do with undiminished returns. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, our, um, uh, it's one of those things where someone might say, look, we, we, you know, we already have a bunch of great poems, great poets out there. Uh, we have a great, great host of hymns out there. But the reality is, is that our God is, is infinite and he's worthy of infinite praise. Um, and, uh, you know, I think of the psalmist here who says, you know, who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? This is Psalm 106, verse 2. And of course, the answer is no one. Uh, no one except for God himself can declare all his His deeds. So if if there's so much that God has done, if there's so much that God is, uh, there is literally an infinite amount of things that we can say about God. You know, there there is that hymn it's called the love of God, and it, here's one of the stanzas of the love of God. Uh, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. I mean, it's a great, it's a great stanza uh, saying that you know what if if the entire ocean was ink we still would it would run dry talking about the greatness of our god the love of god in particular and that one song that's just one aspect of god is his love for us um so is there room and i would certainly encourage any listeners who are who are aspiring poets is there room for new poets absolutely new hymn writers absolutely new songwriters absolutely because again we need to present old truths in new ways but also we have an infinite amount of things that we can say um about the depth and beauty and wonder of our great and glorious God and his work among us and for us and through us. So, so definitely, yes, we need new poets. Yes, we need new, new artists to continue the process until glory. When we get to be with God in, in, in person, right, uh, then we won't need these uh, shadowy illusions um, of, of him, but we will be with him face to face and we can just delight in all of his beauty and wonder uh, there in his presence. So, yeah, it's a glorious truth. But until then, keep writing. Uh, keep writing poems. Amen. Let's talk about your title, Undiminished Returns. Uh, what's that all about? Yeah, Undiminished Returns. Well, um, this is the thing is that, um, you know, in um, in economics and math, whatever, they, they call this the law of diminishing returns, where you come to a point where um, – you know, so much investment or so much invested time and you you sort of you reach a peak to the point where the more effort or the more money or the more time you invest, uh, the productivity actually diminishes. So I don't know if you're familiar with that. So it's called the law of diminishing returns. Um, so I know this. I mean, when, when I was a student at university, for example, you know, you're trying to write an essay 
and you try to pull an all nighter and you're like a, <laughs> you know, you're, you're in there, you're at hour five, you're hour six, hour seven, all night long writing this thing. And, and the, the longer you're up, so it's later in the night and say it's two o'clock in the morning. It's, let me just contrast here. Like at the very beginning, maybe it would take you, you know, a minute to write a couple sentences, but at two o'clock in the morning, uh, it would take you 10 minutes to write a single sentence or maybe 20 minutes to write a single sentence. That's what happens. So that's the law of diminishing returns is that although you're putting in more time, you're actually less productive. But with God, with God, it's it's the complete opposite. It's the law of undiminished returns um, that the little you put in to God, uh, he gives back tenfold, a hundredfold uh, back. There's this, there's this, um, there's this incredible delight. So again, looking at the beginning of my, of my book where uh, you're, you're unsaved, you're searching, you're hungry, you're, you want something more, you're frustrated um, that there's a God, you're frustrated that you think there isn't a God um, and you think you're, you're going to lose out. And, and, and I think, uh, let me just say this, I think that's the great challenge. And even not only for unbelievers, but for Christians as well. Um, I think Christians sometimes struggle with trusting that God will, in fact, uh, do what is good and right for you. Um, every good gift comes from your heavenly father, comes from your father of lights. And, you know, we sometimes don't believe that, but he is the God of undiminished returns, that that His uh, he gives back uh, so much more because ultimately he gives himself to us and he's infinite. So you, you can't put a you know, you can't, you can't put a measurement on God's gift to you as he gives himself because it is, um, it is infinite and it's ever more upwards, right? You, you keep going up, uh, gaining more and more delight, more beauty, more love, more goodness, more righteousness. Um, and it does, it has no end. It's a world without end, um, is what eternity uh, looks like. So that's kind of where I was going with, <laughs> with this title. I don't know. How, I don't know how clear that was uh, for people, but um, it certainly was a poetic title. So it's, it's, it's appropriate for, uh, for a book of poems. Awesome, brother. Let's talk about the scripture index. Tell, tell us more about how you've done the scripture index. I think it's wonderful gift to the church. One of my endorsers, um, Karen Swallow Pryor, she's an English professor. Uh, she was at, um, at Liberty and now she's at uh, Southeastern. Um, and uh, when she, she read the book, she endorsed it. Uh, she said this, um, she said, it's a veritable course in poetry. So there's there's so much going on in this in this book that that can help equip someone uh, for reading poetry. So there's a, there's a whole introduction where I talk a lot about you know why we read poetry, um, um, why I wrote poetry, the value of all the stuff we've been actually talking about tonight um, in this podcast. Uh, in the end, I've got a couple appendices that explore that idea further. Um, but I also have, as you mentioned, this scripture index. Um, and so what I've done is um, anytime I allude to or refer to uh, or deal with a scriptural text in one of my poems, um, I've, I've put that in this scripture index. So you can go back there. If you're, if you're, if you're preaching on, for example, you know, um, 
Genesis chapter, I don't know what I got here, chapter 18, verse 14. Um, there's a poem that actually alludes to that particular scripture verse. Now, it doesn't mean the whole poem is about that particular topic, but um, it can be very helpful when you're preparing for some kind of devotional or you're you're looking for something as you're doing your reading, something that will unpack further or, or develop a certain idea, you can go into the scripture index. So, and it's listed by the books in the Bible. So I give you, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, and so on, all the way into the New Testament. Um, and then the actual scripture verse um, where I've either alluded to or lifted directly a scripture quote or a concept that's referred to in that particular verse. Um, and so that can be very helpful. And I was hoping that would be another tool for people. Um, you know, it also helps to see, you know, is this a biblical, you, you know, is are these poems rooted in the Bible? Um, and, uh, you know, when you look at, um, you know, I've got I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, eight pages of scripture references from Almost everybody. <laughs> it's funny. I, 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 I'm not sure if I, I don't think I hit everything, but I, I've got almost every book in the Bible, um, even some of the minor prophets here. So Malachi, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Micah, Hosea, and so on um, are in here as well. There's some verses mm -hmm. here. So there's something for everybody uh, in mm -hmm. terms of looking at um, you know, finding the Bible connection for some of these, some of these poems and um, you know, um, so so I tried to make this collection of poems not just about the poems, but an actual resource for people. Um, I know uh, a school, uh, a classical Christian school in the states, has ordered a bunch of them for their for their for their some of their teachers as 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 a resource um, for teaching um, as well. So so you know within a Christian context um, to actually have have. The, the information about poetry and poetry writing. And, um, you know, I also talk about the sonnet, which is the primary form. Uh, so a sonnet is just a kind of poem. It's 14 lines. Um, there's a couple different kinds of sonnets that I incorporate, but I explain one of the, one of the appendices at the back, I explain how sonnets work. Um, so that further equips you uh, with your ability to, to read and really appreciate um you know what 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 the poems are saying to you, and what biblical truths are being drawn out. So yeah, so that that's awesome. And you know, I don't see this as much today, but as you know, I've been studying the 18th century Baptist, particular Baptist, and that's sort of my field of study. But what you see in their sermons are they'll be they'll be preaching sermons, and then they'll quote a hymn. And then they'll continue preaching, and then mm. they'll quote a, the quote of him. And so what they're doing is they're they're showing their point, and they're giving a familiar hymn, which which expounds these wonderful truths in a in a short short way. But everyone knows it, but it's memorable. And so not only does that, as you sing that hymn in worship, remind you of the sermon and the truths that he just explained, but it unpacks gospel truths immediately. And so I I think I would love to yeah. see that more in in modern day preaching. And uh, I, I think it's a wonderful tool. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, I, I um, that would be wonderful. I mean, some of the um, you're absolutely right about 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 hymns. I should add, just as you're mentioning that, 
um, you know, preachers quoting hymns. Again, another reason why we should read poetry is to help us understand hymns. I mean, oftentimes we sing these hymns and we're not paying attention to the lyrics. And so the more poetry we actually read, uh, the more equipped we'll be to, to read and fully benefit from the theology and doctrine being presented, uh, you know, in these hymns. But, but, to, but to go back to your, to your bigger point, just the idea of quoting or using poetic, uh, using, you know, poems uh, in your preaching, uh, some of the poems, as I said, are are written as prayers as well, um, and so you know they could also be incorporated with some kind of mild liturgy. You know, there, there's a there's a there's a poem about baptism, for example, um, in my book. Uh, it's called I won't I won't read it, uh, but it is called um, Immerse Emerge. And so it's about the baptism experience. Uh, there, there's a poem about communion. Um, you know, so, you know, if you're doing the Lord's table, for example, just to change it up or to, to add a fresh insight, you know, uh, I would love it if, if a church would, would read one of these poems during that, those kinds of services. So um, that's another aspect as well, sort of a liturgical aspect. So that's where the scripture index can be helpful too. Um, I, I don't have a topical index, so you kind of have to read through and, and sift through and look at the titles. Um, and again, the, the, the poem titles aren't always explicit in terms of what the poem's about, but, um, you know, um, the, the, there are some there. And, and uh, you know, even at the end of the book where I'm dealing with, um, you know, being in glory, um, you know, I've got a couple poems here dealing with uh, death. One poem's called Not Normal, Not Natural, and the other poem's called A Word to Death. Um, and then I've got a third poem, sort of a celebratory in glory wedding feast poem called New Bells. Um, and so, you know, even at, at those occasions where you're, you know, celebration of life or you're trying to reflect on death through a Christian lens, some of these poems might be helpful um, either for personal meditation or, or in a in a church setting like that. So, yeah, I really hope this is I really hope that this book will be helpful. Well, before we go, I want to ask you a few things digressing from our conversation. Sure. What projects you got on the go? Um, yeah, well, uh, right now, uh, H&E has commissioned me to, to write a biography uh, on J.R. Tolkien, the, the writer of Lord of the Rings, uh, the creator of Middle Earth. Um, so that's what I'm currently uh, researching. Um, and uh, I'm also doing some, you know, I continue to write poems on the side here and there. I'm exploring a few different uh, styles and forms. I'm looking more at free verse, trying to uh, expand, you know, that aspect of my, of my poetry. Um, I'm also writing uh, an annotated collection of poems by Anne Bradstreet. Anne Bradstreet is one of my um, one of my favorite poets. She's uh, she's actually uh, the first American poet. So she was a Puritan in the 17th century, um, and uh, she was part of the the sort of Massachusetts Bay Colony, um, you know, back in the day with John Winthrop, and um, and uh, so she she wrote the the first published collection of poems that came out of North America in, in English. Um, and, uh, so I'm, 
I'm collecting some of her devotional poems and annotating them, providing some some helpful guides and 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 also doing sort of the same thing I did for my book. You know, connecting where she's alluding to scriptural. Um, you know, truths or, or, or the Bible directly. I'll put those references uh, in. And um, what I've noticed with Anne Bradstreet, um, you know, certainly there are scholars, English scholars, you know, American literature scholars who are taking a look at her work. Um, but uh, sometimes they miss the theological and doctrinal truths that underlie her faith. And uh, so it's helpful to have a guy like me who's, who's a poet, who's a Christian, but also, you know, an English teacher and, uh, you know, part-time professor to, um, to sort of bring all those aspects of my, of my, you know, skill set into annotating these poems. Um, and I think it's going to be helpful again for the church. Um, she's, she's often overlooked um, because not many people know about her, uh, but man, her, her poetry is just so encouraging and so helpful um, and, and moving. Um, you know, she writes about her faith. She writes about her struggles. She writes about her children, her husband, uh, the challenges of living in the new world to some degree. Um, and But we can relate to them. It really does speak to us today. Uh, and so that's one of my big projects um, in terms of poetry. Um, and then another project I'm collaborating on with a guy in Northern Ireland, actually, is um, we're we're collecting an anthology of poems, some that we rewrote, some that uh, are by uh, by better known or more famous poets. Um, and what we're doing is we're, we're collecting these poems and we're doing some annotation and discussion about exploring uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves. So that's another side project. And I've got a, I've got a few other collaborations, but we don't have time to talk about all these things, but I, I got, I got my finger in a, in a few pots right now, <laughs> but, um, but certainly Tolkien's the biggest right now, the Tolkien bio, uh, lots of research, lots of reading, lots of writing going on there. And then this, uh, and Bradstreet project is the next biggie. And then this CS Lewis for loves poetry project is the, um, is kind of on the back burner. And then there's a, as I said, a couple more. <laughs> That's awesome, brother. Well, uh, if you want to keep in touch with Jeremy, you can follow him on Twitter. Uh, he will be uh, posting more regularly, and he'll be posting his poems and lots of other good things. So <laughs> so watch out for that. And uh, Jeremy, what is your uh, what is your handle there? Uh, what is my handle? It is um, – it's at Gandalf Pirate, one word. So G-A-N-D-A-L-F-P-I-R-A-T-E. I also have um, a website, jeremywjohnston.ca, uh, where I do have a blog on there as well. People can check that out. Perfect. And if you're interested in his book, All Things New, Essays on Christianity, uh, Art, and the Culture, uh, you can buy it. And you can also go back and uh, listen to my interview with Jeremy about that. Did we, we interviewed, did we interview about that book? <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. We did. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, we did. That's awesome. All right. So Jeremy, thanks for coming on and uh, we'll, we'll get you on here uh, soon enough about uh, Tolkien. That'd be awesome. All right. Sounds good. Thanks chance. I appreciate the, the conversation. I look forward to talking to you again sometime.